Good morning, everybody. This is Warren Oaks in the program is Everything Cooperative. This program is being brought to you by the National Cooperative Bank. And we're in our six and a half years, and they've been with us all the time. Not only do they provide financial support, but they've been our main cheerleaders. The folks at NCB, uh, led by Chuck Snyder, have done a lot to help this program be the success that it is. And I'm going to thank them for that. And this morning, we have Mr. Michael Mercer with us this morning, and he has been the chair of the board of NCB twice. Good morning, Mike. How are you, Vernon? I woke up this morning, and so I'm just doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I understand you ride your motorcycle to work on on nice days. On nice days. Yeah, not today, but on nice days. The day could have been if I'd gotten prepared for it. Mike, you know, this is Black History Month, and you're not African-American. You're Caucasian-American. And I just want to say... We could not have had the Underground Railroad without white folks' support. And the Civil Rights Movement wouldn't have been the same. We wouldn't have gotten funding. And so even though there are some whites that have been racist and really have held black people down and other folks down, there's also been whites that have really helped. And one person is a great friend of mine, David Thompson, who has taught me a lot about this co-op and African-Americans. So I just want to thank you for being here. And secondly, I understand that a couple nights ago, you received the African-American Credit Union Hall of Fame. You were inducted to the African-American Credit Union Hall of Fame. What did you do to get that? <laughs> that uh, That's a good question. Uh, I, uh, I, I don't know that I did anything uh, spectacular, but I, I think what I have done is, is tried to be helpful not only to African Americans, but to women and to uh, young people uh, all along in my career. And uh, I think with respect to the African American Credit Union Coalition, uh, because uh, their president is based in Georgia, we've had the opportunity to be helpful to them uh, going way back into the 1980s. And um, it's just been my pleasure. Um, and, and I've uh, created great friends um, in, in that group of people. And uh, every time they, they call, I, I, I try to help. Well, you may downplay that, like I didn't do much, but I got to tell you, I have found being African-American too often when I go ask somebody for help, they may say they are going to, and then they don't. And so I could see real clearly, as a matter of fact, that's one of the, I don't know, the legs underneath racism, particularly systemic racism, is that folks will say they're helping, they don't. So thank you for them and I got it well it's and it's rewarding um, you know you, you've heard the the phrase to, to give is to receive but mm-hmm. uh, it, it really works out that way in, in life and um, I, I've received way more than I've ever given and um, I just I just appreciate the opportunity to learn from from anybody and uh, and so uh, I think it's been the same with the uh, African-American Credit Union Coalition so what is this African-American Credit Union Coalition? Well, they're a group of people who are trying to advance the careers of uh, African-Americans within the credit union community. Uh, there are over 5,000 credit unions around the country, and uh, they employ a large number of people. And um, I was approached by the uh, the group, the coalition, and they were having trouble even identifying who the CEOs um, were around the country uh, of of African-American heritage. So I took it upon myself to 
contact my colleagues at the other credit union leagues, and we identified all of the uh, African-American credit union CEOs. And uh, they had never had a, a list like that, and it's, it's been very helpful for them to be able to communicate now. And um, what they do is, is, is help um, young people coming along uh, advance in their careers. They create a networking opportunity for career, career advancement, and they're just being helpful to each other. And, and uh, I, I just uh, appreciate that I've had the opportunity to help as well. That's why I say thank you. Okay, that may seem small in all you do and have done, but over here, being African-American, growing up in the South, traveling and everything, that too often, like, people don't help. So that that is wonderful. And I had an opportunity at Greenbelt. Greenbelt is right up the street from us, and there's seven co-ops within this little city. Mm-hmm. And one of them is a credit union, and I had a a meeting at the Greenbelt Cafe, which is a cooperative. We did a show live there with these seven co-ops represented, and the CEO is African-American. So it was nice to meet him and see. The credit unions that I've known that have been run by African-Americans have mainly been in in the neighborhood, in African-American communities, and like at my church was started in the 80s uh, credit union. But it was very, very small, and eventually the government or whomever runs this said that they were too small and they had to merge with somebody. I didn't particularly like that, but that's what was done. So you've spent most of your life in credit unions. How did you get into this credit union world? Uh, like everybody else that got into uh, to credit unions by accident. I, by accident. Uh, I was going to uh, graduate school in, uh, in uh, Madison, Wisconsin at the university there. And uh, I needed a part-time job and uh, found a three-by-five card down on the, uh, on the cork board at the business school and tore it off the, the board so nobody else would see it. And, <laughs> okay. And That's went, competition. <laughs> okay. <laughs> went over, to, the, uh, went over to the what turned out to be the headquarters of CUNA at the time in Madison and, and uh, went in and essentially got that job and uh, it was a, a significant project that uh, was undertaken at the time and shortly after I got there I, I was asked to go back to the university and bring back four or five more like me to, to work on this project that was uh, called the U.S. Central Credit Union which is kind of a central bank for credit unions and and so when I graduated I interviewed up and down the east coast with the investment banking firms that was that's what I was studying to uh, to do me too and I drove okay. I drove back to uh, okay. Wisconsin and on the way back I, I said you know what I, I I have the credit union bug I have the cooperative bug I I want to apply my trade and do good things for people and and so I uh, went to work full time for for, for CUNA and its subsidiaries, and I, I have worked for credit union organizations ever since. What year you, did you graduate? Oh, that's a good question. 70, 78 or 9 okay. uh, from, from grad school. Uh, University of Madison. University so of Wisconsin. there's a lot of yeah. co-ops at, in Madison, right. they have in a, Wisconsin. They have a, a co-op extension bureau there at the university. I didn't know anything about it while I was there, but uh, have learned about it since. So you mentioned CUNA, C-U-N-A. What is CUNA? That's the Credit Union National Association. It's the the national apex organization for credit unions, and it's um, supported by the work of the state uh, credit union leagues, and those leagues are owned by the credit unions in each of each of the states. And 
And uh, of course, the credit unions are owned by the the people that uh, that do business with the credit unions. So it's a you know it's a true democratic structure that that, that we have in the credit union world. Okay, so the credit union at my church, or Greenbelt Credit Union, is owned by the people to make deposits there. Yes. Okay, they make deposits, and they are members, and then they can also run for the board. Absolutely. And those board members are normally all I've ever known are members. Well, they have to be members. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's no third party shareholders in in credit unions like like most co co ops. Okay. Well, I know uh, in housing co-ops, and that's where I found out about co-ops, every now and then the the uh, articles of corporates and the bylaws may say that you could have an accountant or a lawyer, but somebody with a skill set to bring to, to be on the board. But other than that, they were always members. Most of them were all members. And then that board sets policies for the co-op. And I guess in a credit union, they decide, well, who decides what products are like? How much interest to pay on a car loan or how much to give a signature loan and all of that? Who decides that? Well, the board uh, sets policies uh, and uh, expectations for management. But management uh, generally is the one that, that makes the uh, tactical decisions about you know, what, what kind of products to, to propose uh, providing to the members. And uh, these uh, credit unions... Uh, their boards meet monthly, and the, the management folks report to the board, and uh, they execute all the all the uh, the policies according to the board's wishes. And um, so, I would say that uh, today, the the work of setting rates and prices and fees is very very uh, complicated in today's climate, and so that's delegated to management, but overseen by this mostly volunteer board of directors. Fantastic. So go back. You got members in Greenbelt, and they elect the board, and they can run for the board, and the board then sets policies so the members have a say in what policies and what products and all of that. And then the board hires management and does that interaction. Absolutely. Okay, so I want to go back to make sure I get it. Is that okay? So each state, so the state of Maryland will have a league, right? And then all of the credit unions belong to that league or all the credit unions that want to belong to it? So is it mandatory? No, it's it, optional. It's, it's optional. One of the principles that uh, you know, membership is open and optional. And so, it, uh, you know, there are a few credit unions that choose not to join with their state league, but not many. Okay. So the league is a co-op. Absolutely. Okay. So that first principle is what you're talking about in all co-ops. If you're really a co-op, it's... Open membership doesn't make any difference about right. your politics or your religion or your gender, race. It just doesn't matter. That's, that was the second reason that I like co-ops when I started learning about them. Right. Um, one, no, one member, one one vote. That's and, the second. That's yeah. well, that that is the third reason I like <laughs> the democratic <laughs> control, which is the second principle. But what I really like, and I'd say it real quickly, is number five: is education, training, and information. Uh, that I, I was able to see when I managed housing co-ops, you'd have everyday people, sometimes high school degree at best, uh, 
that was making very intelligent decisions about running this business, okay, because they had been trained in how to make those decisions and how to work together to make decisions. So that's when I fell in love with this co-op model, and I did not learn about it getting my MBA. Right. And I got it in 76. I don't know if you'd learned about it in Wisconsin, but at Stanford they did not teach this thing. Not at, not at Wisconsin, or at least the program I was in, that's for sure. Yeah, they didn't teach it. So I learned it by just becoming a property manager and watching people work. So now, right before we take a break, you've got the individual credit union, members elect the board, board hires the management company. They belong to the state league. And then the state league belongs to CUNA, which is the credit union for North America? For the United States. For the United States. Okay. So this is sort of the hierarchy, and we're going to come back after the break and talk about where you worked in that hierarchy of credit unions and the kinds of things that you've done and what are the benefits of the credit union. We already talked about products and how credit unions will create products for the members, not for a shareholder who might live in China or India or somewhere else, not in that community. But we'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Talk Station. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. I'm having the great pleasure of talking to Michael Mercer today, who has grown up, if you will, in this credit union environment. Credit unions are a co-op. And for real quickly, there are four types of major co-ops. One is uh, if the co if the business is owned and controlled by the employees, it's called a worker co-op. Therefore, any business you can think of could be a co-op. And those of you out there that may want to start a co-op, that would, might be what you get a group of people together and start a worker cooperative. If it's owned and controlled by the consumer, that's the people that uses the products or services, then it's a consumer cooperative. That's what credit unions are. They're owned and controlled by the members, the consumer that uses the products and services, deposit their monies into this financial institution. If it's it, housing co-ops is another example of that. And in Madison, Wisconsin, where Michael Mercer got his master's degree, there is a co-op there, a clinic, a, house, a health clinic that's owned and controlled by the patients. That's another consumer cooperative. And the other two uh, a lot of farmers use, and that is farmers would get together and create a purchasing cooperative so that if you got 500 farmers purchasing grain or fertilizer or gas or equipment, they could normally, this business they create could get really smart about these different things that they need. And on the other end of that, in D.C., there's a consumer purchasing alliance that was set up to help churches and nonprofits like charter schools to buy things. On the other side of the farm is a marketing co-op, and sometimes they're called producer cooperatives, where farmers, again, would get together, and all of these dairy farmers would sell their milk to this business that was set up by the farmers, owned by the farmers, and this group, Cabot Creamery, Organic Valley would use the milk then to create cheese and cottage cheese and other products. And they might be able to sell it to California or different markets that the individual farmer could not. So that helped this cooperative has helped the farmer 
minimize risk and get a better return. Artists are beginning to use these two, this purchasing co-op and this consumer cooperative. So those are the basics. And Mike is here talking about the consumer cooperative, which is credit unions. So, Mike, what's the benefits of this credit union? How did they get started to come up with this benefits? Well, credit unions in North America got started uh, right around the turn of the century, uh, coming into the 1900s. Um, they, the idea was 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 kind of brought here from uh, Europe, uh, in part from uh, Britain, the Rochdale co-ops, and in part from Germany, the, the merchant co-ops that that existed there. But um, they were formed around parishes in uh, Quebec to begin with, and then um, as they came into the United States, they they tended to be formed around. Uh, uh, eventually, uh, employer groups, and and these are groups of people that would get together and and decide that they wanted to um, get a fair deal with their financial services. They wanted access to credit, which they were having trouble uh, doing, and uh, so they formed up uh, uh, credit unions. And uh, essentially, they would save money together, and uh, by doing that, the accumulated savings could be made available for. For credit, and, um, and and essentially they would uh, create a little ecosystem uh, by and among themselves to to handle their their basic financial needs. And the the, the process still works the same way today. Um, so I'm just want to stop you to make sure I got this. So people that need credit and they want a fair deal, use a fair deal. Right. They don't want somebody. A usury interest that caused them a lot, like 21% interest or something. Or loan so, sharks at the time. Loan yeah. sharks, yeah. right. So they want a fair deal, and they want access to credit. Normally, I have learned uh, in the business school that most banks will loan money to people that already have money. They already have assets. They have wealth. And so that access to credit means if you have land or you have buildings, that the bank can come and get that building if you don't Absolutely. pay it back, Collateral. then that's who they will loan money to. So now we got these people coming together, pooling money. Okay, is that it? Right. That's it. Okay. Lend to each other based on their character, their will, you know, their their dependability to repay. And and uh, this was uh, reinforced by uh, having people who had this common bond of association with one another. And uh, so if you were working at a, um, a paper mill and um, – you needed to borrow $500, it would be possible to um, go to the credit union. And if you could bring in four co-signers to your loan, uh, each of you would be, you know, would be kind of pledging for $100 out of this $500. You're sharing the risk that way. But if you fell behind on your payments, the other four would would uh, meet you out on the loading dock with a, with, a, with a tire iron and, and straighten out the repayment schedule. <laughs> And it worked, and it worked, and it made it possible for the volunteers who ran the credit union, the board of directors, it made it possible for uh, finance to take place at, at that level. And, and and what I believe, Mike, is that they probably did not have to take the, the tire iron out. They probably didn't have to be, because peer pressure is right. awesome. Right. That if people say, am I going to vacation or am I going to pay this? If that's easy, it's easy. I'm going to pay this because I know my friends are going to be on me. It might become a question, though, is do I buy food or medicine or do I pay this? Mm. And then I think if a person would go talk to their friends, right. here's what their situation is. My uncle in New York, my cousin told me in New York they had rent parties. 
if somebody fell behind in their rent, right. they would come together as a group, as a community, and they would have a party and sell food and play games, collect the money, and that money that they made would go to the person that had fallen on hard times. Right. Right. So this has been around a long time. This 1930s crowd crowdsourcing. Crowd, 1930s crowd. Okay. So... Keep on going down this road of this, this history and benefits of co-ops. Well, as, as time went on, uh, the, the credit unions grew, and they were able to hire um, a full-time manager and eventually a staff, and they were able to offer more services. Uh, as we got into the 1970s and 80s, uh, consumers started wanting more uh, sophisticated financial services, so credit unions had to learn how to, how to do that. Uh, after a while, the... Uh, the uh, new job formation started to happen in very small companies, which were, you know, by then too small to charter their own credit union. So they would have just attached themselves to a larger credit union nearby, and and so credit unions would would grow like that. And uh, today, credit unions provide substantial, uh, tangible benefits vis-a-vis the the for-profit providers. Uh, we we annually. Uh, survey fees on, on checking accounts, uh, rates on loans, uh, rates on savings accounts. And in uh, Georgia, the state where I'm from, on an annual basis, the uh, the net benefit is uh, over $200 million a year for the, uh, for the, for the 2 million plus members in the state of Georgia. Um, wait, wait a minute. I, I didn't get that. $100 million savings a year? Yeah, and lower loan rates, higher savings rates, or lower fees, or and lower fees. So would you do a comparison of, all right, this is what the fees are for the credit union, and you compare that to fees of banks. banks. Fees of banks yeah. in, the, in Georgia. You're just talking about Georgia. Right, right. And the savings or earnings to the people in the credit union amounts in Georgia of $200 million a year. Yeah, and that goes right to their their bottom lines at the family level, and as you can imagine, that's a meaningful meaningful difference. And maybe more important than that, as a benefit, uh, people learn from their credit union how to manage their their money. Uh, for example, uh, it's not uncommon for somebody to come into the credit union and say they want a loan for an Escalade. And the credit union folks uh, sit down and talk to them about their family finances, and maybe maybe the Ford Explorer uh, would would do the trick and 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 look at look at the savings that you can have from not spending as much going into the transaction, and and the savings that come from that dwarf uh, the savings of of a slightly lower interest rate on the loan. And, uh, so it's it's good, dependable, trustable advice that. That probably uh, generates even more benefits than than just the uh, the pricing differentials. Okay, so w- what I'm getting is you use the fifth principle of co-ops, and that's education, training, and information, and that's the main reason that I started liking this model. And I understand back in Rushdale when you talked about the Rushdale principles of 1844, when they talked about that, it was reading, writing, arithmetic, and running a business. So it was all of that. And so credit unions train people in managing money. Right. That's what you're saying. Right. Helping okay. helping them afford life. Wait a minute. I need that quote. Helping them to afford life. That's, that's why Georgia credit unions believe they exist fundamentally, is to help people afford their lives. 
You see, accreditings don't have third-party shareholders. We're not harvesting profits and sending them to shareholders in New York or Dubai. All the benefit that credit unions create goes right back to the members. Wow. Helping them to afford life. That is a great place to stop on our second break uh, because nobody teaches one how to afford life and how to manage money in bank. Well, too often bankers won't because they don't want you to know so they can make more money off of you. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. We're here with Mike Mercer learning about credit unions and how to afford life. We'll be right back. Everybody, this is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative, and we have Mr. Michael Mercer in here in the studio with us this this morning. We were talking about your life, but before that, National Co-op Bank is sponsoring this program. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services and. Uh, they were formed in the 80s and really going into low-income communities and figuring out how to make loans and how to help these communities, and they do a great job at it. And I'm talking to Mike Mercer, and we're talking about how credit unions do that also. So, Mike, I want to go all the way back. We just got to your first job. Can we go back and talk about your sequences of your life, your bio, if you will? Well, I, uh, I ended up taking a full-time job there in uh, Madison, uh, Wisconsin, and uh, working on a uh, relatively new project, uh, which was known then as U.S. Central Credit Union. The idea was to create a, a sort of a central bank for credit unions uh, so that credit unions could literally save their extra money in a credit union organization as opposed to uh, shipping it off to uh, Wall Street banks, which had been the practice up until then. And uh, we, we created uh, an organization that was very successful. Uh, it, it depended on the support of a, what we call corporate credit unions uh, in each of the states. And then uh, at the end of the 1970s, we ran into uh, uh, another interest rate spike. You may, you may recall we had the second oil crisis and gas lines in 1979, I think, and then interest rates spiked, inflation was high. And, and 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 so what happened was the uh, the corporate credit unions and uh, got got themselves mismatched with their assets and liabilities and and so those of us at U.S. Central we split up and went out to these corporate credit unions and that's how I got to Georgia I went I went to the Georgia Central Credit Union to try and help uh, that institution uh, fix its bottom line. It had been losing money because of these ultra-high interest rates. It was paying out more than it was taking in. That got me to Georgia, and uh, when I got there, um, I got to know the credit union people in Georgia, and and by 1985, I, I, was, I was hired into a position that, that uh, 
was was the the head of the the trade association uh, there in Georgia. So mm-hmm. from 1985 until August of uh, of last year, I was the president of the Georgia Credit Union League and the affiliated companies, uh, some subsidiary organizations. And from there, I I got to participate in deliberations on virtually all of the emerging issues and topics that uh, that that came before the the United States Credit Union uh, movement. And uh, when I got into the uh, 1990s, uh, the uh, I think 1989 is when the Berlin Wall came down, and we we ran into our uh, uh, soon to be friends from uh, Poland. They were over in the United States. Uh, members of the Solidarity Movement were sent over to the United States by Lech to identify ways that, that the Polish folks could inject democracy into the lives of people at the local level. And one of the things they ran across was credit unions. And uh, when that happened, we, we struck up a friendship and developed a partnership program with the Polish people. But this this cooperative business model, these credit unions were such a powerful thing that the the Polish people who were in the business of designing their first um, uh, free market system for providing service to people after many years of, uh, of oppression, first from the Germans and then from the Russians, uh, looked to credit unions as a way mm. to solve some of their problems. And uh, and that was a that was a very eye opening experience for me. The power of cooperation, the power of credit unions, and uh, you know we we learned a lot about democracy and freedom from our, our Polish friends. They learned a lot from us about how to operate uh, credit unions, and uh, and so we had a, a a mutually beneficial friendship that evolved over the years. We're now twenty five years into that into that friendship and that relationship. And that's how it goes in, in cooperatives. You you learn from other people who who are in this business, and you learn that it's about a whole lot more than than just the uh, the financial benefits, the direct financial benefits. You learn that 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 it empowers uh, a person to be free. You can't be free without some money. You can't be free without some opportunity. You can't be free unless you're enthusiastic about the future. And uh, I've learned uh, over my uh, career now that uh, that cooperatives uh, are are fundamentally about uh, uh, endowing people with uh, with a true sense of freedom, and that that of course um, leads into political activism. And uh, so, credit unions are among the cooperatives that are active in in helping people understand that getting involved in the political process is essential for preserving their freedom or advancing uh, the conditions of their freedom. And uh, nowhere is that more important, really, than in local elections and local politics. And, and credit unions are, um, um, are, are trying to be helpful about getting people to understand. They need to inform themselves about these, these positions, the local school board, the the local judges; the, these folks have far more impact on on one's life than than uh, than the presidential race, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we tend to throw all of our uh, attention and effort uh, following the media with the presidential uh, campaign, but it's the local 
it's the local politics that that really impact our lives routinely. So, so co-ops have have expanded way beyond uh, what what I ever uh, thought they could do, and. Um, you know, we sit here today where people don't really trust big business. Uh, people don't really trust big government. They're looking for organizations that are aligned with their interests. And here are co-ops and credit unions, in my case, um, sitting in between these these two pillars of our uh, of our society, um, uh, ready to help people, ready to do business in a way that helps people. Uh, achieve things in their lives. And as you know, the vast majority of Americans for the last couple of decades have seen very little uh, increase in the, uh, in, in the, in the real uh, spending power, or the real earning power of, of, of their situation. So we have a big challenge in front of us to, uh, to uh, help this country uh, and, and all countries around the world. Uh, well, Mike, correct? I just... I, you have said a lot in a few minutes here, and I just want to sort of come back to some of it, because I thought just injecting democracy in the lives of people, I really saw taking a needle and pushing democracy, getting people engaged, as you were talking about, getting people to run for office, getting people really knowing what the issues are and who they might vote for to help them. I, I find it amazing when people vote for somebody that year in and year out don't do things to help them. Matter of fact, they do things that hurt them. Mm -hmm. I find that very, very interesting. So this injecting democracy, I found awesome. Uh, empowering people. You know, it says enthusiastic about the future, but they end up being free, empowering a person to be free so they're enthusiastic about right. it. And the part of that is being enthusiastic about the future. That is a lot. And um, given all of that, if you're in a co-op and you understand democracy, then you get more politically active. You should. I got it. Well, I, I think people do because they can see what the, how, how their vote in the co-op really makes a difference. Right. Okay. And the, how they have to be engaged in the co-op to learn what the issues are and then what position they need to take, and then therefore what vote they must make on issues and what vote they must make with the people to carry out those policies. Or I issues. bet you would find that people who are actively engaged in their co-op, be it a credit union or a housing co-op or a worker co-op, people who are, are actively engaged there, I bet you they're more actively engaged in the political process. And just imagine the power of that if the candidates that are running for office realized that those are the people who are the active people. And they're probably a large number of those people who are in the middle of the two polarities in our, in our political system that make the difference about who it is that actually ends up getting, getting elected. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it, uh, it's amazing when you start thinking about the possibilities. So what do you see um, as the future of credit unions? Well, I, I, I think in, in, in a, in a for-profit firm, you can count on return on investment to allocate financial and human resources to the highest return activities. 
highest return for a stockholder. For a stockholder. And that stockholder normally has already a lot of capital, normally, right. and that stockholder more than likely does not live in the community. Right. They're disinterested in, in the well-being of the ones being served. Right. Okay. <clears throat> and then um, in in government, there's there's um, the, motiv- the motivations kind of center around political favor, and, and we're seeing that uh, carried out to an extreme today. Wow, yes. With our, with our national politics, and, and it's an international thing as well. It's not just the United States. But in cooperatives, and especially in credit unions, it's leadership. It's the people who have been elected to lead on the boards of directors. It's the people who have been hired by those boards of directors that make the key decisions that allocate the people and the financial resources. And so when you talk about the future for credit unions, I, I hope that out there in the future, um, credit unions recognize that, that they have a, an enormous um, opportunity and responsibility to take care of people, to help people lift themselves up in their own lives. And don't look at the future as um, a set of financial uh, key performance indicators that 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 are managed pragmatically and uh, oblivious to the to the the potential differentiation power of 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 the cooperative business model. Wouldn't it be really interesting if a model of measurement might be of my five thousand members of my credit union? How many of them? Their their feeling of freedom has improved, okay, over this past year. Or how many of them? How would you measure that their quality of life have improved, where they have control over their money and therefore control over their life? How do you measure that? Because it's kind of like easier to measure. I had so much money come into the business and I spent so much money so I had this much left over and I was able to keep so much of it into the credit union for future growth and I was able to do some work in the community through social events and I was able to give back dividends to those members by some kind of a way maybe in products or maybe in other ways you can measure that in numbers but how do you measure quality of life that would be interesting yeah. Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> that would be real interesting. Needs asking. I don't yeah. know that I can uh, put a sound bite together to uh, to satisfy you on that one. But um, but that is the challenge, isn't it? it mm-hmm. It's it's quality of life. It's standard of living. It's it's enthusiasm for the future. It's willingness to invest in the young people, help them come along. Uh, let. You know, feel confident that their world can be better than our world. That's always yeah. that's always been our our thing in this country is that the the next generations will do a little bit better. And yeah. All right, we're going to go in our final break, and I'm going to put some words. I'm not going to put words in your mouth. These are my words, but I've gotten these from Michael Mercer. African Americans out there, I know we came out of slavery and all of that, and we've always worked for freedom. So I'm saying what Michael's gotten me is, if you want to be free, join a credit union. You want to get freedom? Join a join a co-op. We'll be right back for our final section today.
Station. Everybody, this is Vernon Oaks. Uh, the program is Everything Cooperative. And right before break, I had said that if you're African-American uh, and you're looking for freedom, then join a, join a co-op. Well, Vernon, let me add a little to that. Um, I, I think it goes farther than just joining a co-op. It, okay. it, I really think that to get to this feeling of, of financial freedom or any other sort of freedom, uh, you need to get engaged. You need to invest your time and attention into the democratic process. You need to understand the power of your vote in your cooperative and, by extension, your vote in the political process in this country. And um, I, I, I think you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. If, uh, and, and, and I say that because I watch credit union members who are, who are engaged, and, and they, they are the optimistic ones. They are the opportunistic people that you see in your midst. So it truly is a, a situation where you're going you're gonna to get out what you, what you put in. And um, I encourage everybody, and, uh, and I mean everybody. Everybody. Not. Yes, get engaged. Absolutely. I got it. I got it. I got it. And talking about future, <clears throat> you know, African-American month is we're just closing it out. And the theme is African-Americans and the vote. And we're getting ready to go into Women's History Month. And their theme is women and the vote. So what kind of role could you see that that co-ops, particular credit unions? How many credit unions are there? There's a, a little over 5,000 credit unions in the country today. And how many, do you have any sense of how many members that might be? Oh, that's uh, probably 115 million around the country. 115 million. Wow. So credit unions could have a lot of influence on getting people out to vote. Do you have any sense of how you might, have you done anything in the past to get people out to vote? Uh, well, we've uh, we've activated credit union members in the past based on issues that are germane to credit unions. For example, there was a an effort to uh, to have credit unions uh, pay corporate income taxes, and at the time, Newt Gingrich was the Speaker of the House, and he was from the state of Georgia. So we took it upon ourselves to uh, take a, a petition around and. Um, Credit unions did this, and, and it just simply said, thank you, Newt, for knowing that taxing my credit union is really just taxing me. Mm. And we got 60,000 signatures in 10 days and, and brought them to the speaker, and, and uh, it, it opened his eyes, and he, he took, it, uh, took all of them in in big bags and, and uh, suggested to the uh, chairman of the Ways and Means Committee that, that they ought to pay attention to this as well, that people really do view their credit unions as their own credit unions and and that uh, government or nobody else should take that away. Right. I get and it. That's, and that's being active. That's being engaged. That's an example of the power of active engagement. And I, if that's not freedom, I don't, I don't know what is. I would like to See if you. What do you think about this idea? Where credit unions, uh, if you send out an email or a letter, just maybe put a quarter pager in there that says, "Get out and vote. Make sure you go vote in this election come November. Make sure you vote for your your local. You already mentioned how important that is for everybody, even the local credit union, of who is going to be running in a." School boards and city councils and 
and judges in that local community, but also on the national. Could you could credit unions do something like that? They can. They're they're uh, nonpartisan organizations, mm-hmm. but um, uh, the the part about getting active and getting engaged, I think there are quite a few credit unions that uh, that take that approach with their their members in their newsletters and and um, and in their lobby uh, uh, materials that uh, members see when they come into the credit union. But um, it probably could do more. Probably could could find other creative ways to uh, to get get people motivated to get involved with the political process. And uh, so I, I think it's a very important thing. And it shouldn't just be credit unions. It should be all cooperatives. And, uh, yeah, I just have you here now. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. you're absolutely right. It should be all cooperative, getting people out to vote. And not saying who they should vote for. No. But that they should get engaged and they choose who to vote for, but get engaged and then go vote. Make sure. I think right now you have to make sure that you uh, you can vote because they've been doing all this purging, taking people off the, right, the voter right. rolls, and then uh, decide who to vote for. Go to these town hall meetings, talk to people, and then go cast your vote. And, and getting engaged uh, probably essentially means getting yourself educated about mm-hmm. your options and yep. uh, you know what what the candidates stand for. And, and again, local the local candidates are the are the ones that uh, can really affect your lives. Big time in a hurry. Okay. I know you you said you were with the Georgia group, and then I know they merged with the Alabama and the Florida group? Right. We uh, took the trade association. This is a support company for credit unions. Um, and um, in 2019, we married the associations in Alabama, Florida, and Georgia together. Uh, it was mostly to become more efficient in a number of areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But the attention to state level advocacy, uh, you know, representing credit unions at state government and with state regulators and agencies and so forth, uh, that that part is is intended to be fortified and, and invested in and, and grown. And uh, so that that was one of the benefits that that we saw for for bringing those organizations together. And there are credit unions that that for the same kinds of reasons have have merged with one another to increase their scale, increase their ability to provide services today with with digital uh, service projection and mobile. Everything's on the mobile phone mm-hmm. today, so mm-hmm. you've got to adapt with the times. Okay, so what about taking it up to CUNA and see if CUNA would lay out some kind of plan to encourage their members to get out and vote? These 115 million well, they're very active in working with credit unions and working with the, the state leagues to um, engage in the political process. It's it's very fundamental to to the work that they do here in Washington, and uh, and then the state leagues at, within the state capitals, and uh, so they work nearly around the clock on on, uh, on having uh, credit unions and their and their members get get politically engaged. So I know you, I've already mentioned you got the African-American Credit Union Hall of Fame a couple of days ago. You got inducted. And coming up, you're getting inducted into the National Co-op Hall of Fame. That's coming up here very quickly. You're going to ask me what I did to get get that recognition. Uh, You've already told us. I mean, when you talk about 
helping people to get the power of being free and this injecting democracy in their lives and helping them to afford life. Uh, you've already told me why you got it. And I said on the uh, committee. It <laughs> so, uh, was a rigged vote. Then. <laughs> no, it wasn't rigged. I had a chance of reading 10 <laughs> applications and right. yours floated to the top, mm-hmm. which it was it's hard because these heroes are all very, very, very good. And it's a group of 25 people that make this in a very democratic, cooperative way, make the choices. Uh, but it, it's very, very difficult to do. And, and thank you. All right. Yeah, thank Bye. you. So I have a friend named Herb Fisher who is who was a lawyer. He's retired now in Chicago for housing co-ops. And he wanted me to talk to you about what I call the sixth principle, cooperation among co-ops, and how to get credit unions um, married to housing co-ops that, that credit unions could help housing cooperators, the, the new people that want to come in, that particularly limited equity co-ops that might need a $1,000 membership or $2,000 membership, that the credit unions might do that, the share loan, if you will. Um, there might, might be ways of getting those housing cooperators to become members of credit unions and make their deposits and all of that. So it seems like there's some ways that credit unions could help housing co-ops and housing co-ops can help credit unions. So have you seen any work in there, or what do you think about that? This is one of the things that uh, that I've been advocating uh, recently is that uh, in the United States, the, uh, the, the different cooperative sectors, the different business sectors within the cooperative movement don't really interact with each other as much as I think they should. And, and this is just one example that you, you bring our attention to that, that illustrates the possibilities. And I, I'd like to uh, you know, get personally more involved in, in finding ways to help cooperatives work with each other, uh, not, just, not just to uh, uh, benefit the cooperatives themselves, but also to benefit the, uh, the members the of members. these Absolutely, and uh, and you know, again, by working together, we can improve lives at the street level, and uh, and and so I I'm all over that. So, last question for this day is: Do you like what you have been doing your whole career? Love it, love it. I stumbled into it accidentally, but I I'm glad I did. I I've enjoyed every minute of my career. And Mike, for the people of Georgia and for the U.S. and Poland, the world, uh, I just want to say thank you for what you've done to help people really live a better life. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. All right. Everybody out there, we're ending up this program. We'll see you next Thursday. Please, please, please live cooperatively and figure out how you can join a co-op or start one so you can live a better life. Thanks. Your news talk station.